0: i am i it was i mean i i love i love having Chris up here and I like his voice, but it was good to have a it was good to have becca back up here singing amen, hey that's all right yeah come on now you you can be excited in church and uh we 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 talk about this a lot, God honors people throughout the bible i mean it, it's it's a it's a necessary part because we it's not so that we can blow her head up it's just because she's using a gift that god honors and has given her the ability to do and we're grateful that we have the opportunity to uh to be partakers of that so we uh we we do it's it's weird and crazy and stuff don't want to work right all the time so you just you just make adjustments and you keep going. but we, uh, if, you, if you've missed a few weeks of this series or, or anything like that, I just uh, encourage you to go back on YouTube or our podcast. The, all these messages are available to you. Um, this is, I, I don't want to call him a subject, but talking about the Holy Spirit is one of my favorite things to do because I think uh, me personally growing up, it wasn't taught about very much. Like We talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit but we focused on Jesus as we should the Holy Spirit's purpose is to point people to Jesus but you you need to understand a lot of what his role is in your life because if we if we don't pay attention to what his role is in our life then we can miss what God's actually doing in our world and so when we look around and we see all the things that we see and believe that it's just sheer chaos then we have the idea that God doesn't understand what's going on and that he's not present and that's not true that even in the midst of all the chaos that we see, all of the the stuff that is a, a virus, looting and rioting, you know, all, all of it, it it hasn't escaped him. And the Holy Spirit's been present through every bit of it. And so, as we've looked at this series, we've looked at uh, it, it's a funny title: "How's My Breath?" And that's why you get breath mints when you come in, so you can make sure that you smell good. But but that's just the basis of who the Holy Spirit is. He's just a he's just that that mighty breath of God that was present in the beginning when he was hovering over the deep in Genesis. And, and we've looked at this over the last several weeks, just the different aspects of the Holy Spirit being being around us and the function that he operates in, being around us, being with us, that we talked about last week. And this week we're going to look at what what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to be in us. So I, I do want to go back, because so, if you haven't heard some of this, and you hear what I'm going to say tonight, and you didn't hear some of those points from the last couple of weeks, then you'll be like, well, that doesn't make any sense. So I, I, want, to, I want to kind of give you the, the, the kind of un, the understanding. The first and primary role of the Holy Spirit is to convict you and me of unbelief. Like when we talk about the role that Jesus plays, when the Holy Spirit is pointing us to Jesus, the primary function that he plays in unbelievers life is to convict us of unbelief. It's not individual sin. It's not you're an alcoholic. It's not you're a fornicator. It's not you're a murderer. It's you have unbelief and you need to deal with your unbelief. That's the primary function that the Holy Spirit plays. And that's what he does around us. He works around us to make us aware that we have unbelief. He may use other people to do that. But his primary function is that we have a separation and it's unbelief. And we need to deal with our unbelief. So when we talked about God around us, that was the first thing of him working to move us from being unbelievers to believers by following, putting our faith and trust in Jesus. It's foundational. Nothing else that's taught in the church matters if we do not have a foundational understanding about who Jesus is and the role that he plays in our life. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit pushing us, guiding us, and working around us to show us that we do not believe and we need to desperately. So last week, we looked at what God with us looks like, and it's just simply an encourager who testifies. So as you go through your daily walk and you go through your Bible study and your prayer time, it's the Holy Spirit that's carrying all of that function. And the Holy Spirit is working and reminding you. He's constantly pushing you back to the testimony that you have. He's reminding you that you have a story to tell and He's telling you that you can use that story because it says that the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus and that's our primary function as believers. We, too, testify of Jesus because we have the Holy Spirit with us. When we operate in the the working of the Spirit with us, other people are affected by that. When you do what God's put in you to do, which is what we're going to look at tonight, other people are affected. They may not make a change of heart in that moment, but they are being affected by the Spirit because He is present. And so that's what we talked about last week. And I'll just again encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to listen to those messages, you can go back and... And take a look at those on, on YouTube, or you can go to our podcast as well. So we, we've been in this series. We're going to go back to the beginning of John chapter 14. This is where we pick up and, and started this, and I'll show you this again. This is Jesus at the Last Supper with the disciples, and he's saying th- this prayer for them and ultimately for us. And he says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will uh, will be in you. So remember, abide in this is around. It doesn't mean when we think of abide, we think of closeness and personal and intimate relation, and that's not what it means. In the Greek, it means to be around. So his, his presence is going to be around us, and that's the first thing that he points to. And then he says the world can't receive him. So he can't receive him because... He's just around them right now. Until they deal with their unbelief, they can't receive. And so when he goes to the next part, they've dealt with their unbelief. He says, it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him because they've dealt with their unbelief. They trust Jesus. Now he's going to dwell with you. He's going to be in proximity, in more intimate relationship, and it says he's going to be in you. So there's the three different aspects that we've looked at. And so now what I want you to, to, to kind of hone in on is the idea of the Holy Spirit being in us. And I know that when we talk about this, it's inevitably going to come up that people are going to freak out because of a passage in Acts chapter 2. If you're not familiar with Acts chapter 2, I'll show you what, it, what that is in just a minute. But it's not the first time that the Holy Spirit came to be in the disciples. So it's the first time that we see it, and it's the one that's talked about the most because it gets a lot of fanfare. We get kind of freaked out by it because it talks about all this flaming stuff and flaming tongues of fire and and all this stuff that they started. Uh, they thought they were drunk in the middle of the day, and so we're like, well, we don't want to be anywhere near that stuff. But we can miss it if we don't go back to what Jesus had talked about. So after the resurrection, Jesus has. Has appeared to his disciples, and if you go and you look, it's in John chapter 20. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but he says at the end of what we talked about last week, he said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And he was talking specifically about the Holy Spirit being with them, and then he says it again in 20, verse 21. But, it, but it's, it's where the first actual commission, he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then it says what's on your screen right here. With that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So here's the first time. This is not them receiving him around or with. This is them actually receiving. So like right now during this coronavirus, you're supposed to take stay ten, you know, six feet apart. And if somebody breathes up in your face, you're supposed to go take a shower and like you you start gagging and stuff because that's just wrong. You don't breathe on people. And Jesus is all up in their business saying, ah, "Receive the Holy Spirit." And that's what that's that's what. Is taking place, and it's, he says, this is why you're receiving him. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So then the next time that we see the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples is the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And I'm just gonna, I'm going to offer this statement on this particular passage, because if you're not careful, you can fall into the trap of believing that if you don't get this, then you don't have him, and that's not true. So I don't want you to ever fall into the belief that if you didn't receive the Holy Spirit a particular way, by a particular set of circumstances, and it wasn't on Pentecost then you don't have him because it's not true. Let me show you. It says they, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And this is where you get the idea that if you don't speak in tongues, then you don't have the Holy Spirit. And it's not true because what's actually being spoken about here is the necessary need for the gospel to spread rapidly in a port city. They're in a place where there are multiple language barriers that are going to have to be overcome and they ain't got time to be learning a language. And I can prove it to you because the people outside say that they understood what they were saying. Now let me ask you a question. If interpreting the gift of the Holy Spirit of of tongues is a spiritual gift, then how do they know what they're saying? Because they haven't received the Holy Spirit. So you see, we can get it twisted really fast if we don't go on and pay attention to what's actually being said. And it's clear if you continue to go through Acts. I'll give you a couple references if you want to take a look at it yourself. Acts chapter 10, verse 46 through 47. There's a group of saved individuals, but the Holy Spirit has not fallen. In Acts chapter 19, verses 2 through 7, one of my favorite passages, Paul comes into this place and he says, have you, have you not received the Holy Spirit? And they say, what are you talking about? Who is this Holy Spirit? This is a, and, and Paul says, well, what baptism did you receive? They said, well, we got baptized in water. And he said, well, today you're going to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. And it says that there was 12 of them present that day. It was actually the beginning of the church at Ephesus. And he said that the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And guess what? It didn't happen the same way that it happened in Acts chapter 2. So I want you to kind of dispel that understanding of things because what I, what I want us to be able to do is realize that what the Holy Spirit is is primary functioning in us is is that god has already planted something in you in the form of a spiritual gift that only the holy spirit can unlock for you to use in other words we think that people are talented in the church and if they use their talents that the gospel is presented and that's not how it works the spiritual gift that the holy spirit works to unlock in you and in me is what ultimately changes hearts So I can stand up here or I can sit at home and I can study all day long. But if I'm not gifted to teach, if I don't have the gift of apostleship, if I don't have the gift of evangelism, then it's not going to change anything. And and we have to understand that because if we don't understand that, then we don't understand why we individually have been created. And if we don't understand why we individually have been created and then God puts us into these churches, then we just go to church and that's not what it's about. Your gifts are a missing link among the rest of the people. Like, I know where my downfall and shortcomings are. The worst thing that we do, I'm going to get off on a tangent before I get into this for a minute, is just call everybody that stands up here and teaches the pastor. I have no pastoral gifting whatsoever. Never had it. And I was encouraged through seminary, well, you don't need to go that route because you're not a pastor. What well, pastor's not the only one that lead churches. But that's what we believe in America, that all the people that are up here doing this have to be pastors. Michael's not a pastor, never had the gift. Pastors are the people that are going to call you, that are going to come see you, that are going to love on you, that are going to be beside you. And it's not bad that I'm not that. And I thought for years that there was something wrong with me because I was being taught there was something wrong with me until I got taught the right way that there's not anything wrong with you. You've got to find people that are gifted the other way so they fill the gaps. That's what the picture is supposed to look like. It's a puzzle that we're putting together as people come in. So when I look, I have the gift of apostleship, which is kind of frowned upon these days. But apostles are are visionaries and planners, and they can see people differently. So I don't look at you. I look at you and I say, okay, Lord, what's the gift here? What are you trying to do with this individual? And how can I help them get to that place? And then you've got somebody that's a pastor in this room. I won't name names, but there are pastors in this room, and they're going to be the ones that are texting you saying, hey, just checking on y'all. Those are pastors. You're going to have the evangelist that's going to be, they're not just going to be on the street corner, but every conversation they have, there's the fruit of evangelism being plugged in. I don't have that gift either, and I'm okay with that. Now, let me say this. We're all called to share the gospel, but we're not all called to be evangelists. So there is a difference, Okay. So here's what here's what we're going to do. I want to show you the three areas of of where the Holy Spirit comes in and changes things for you and I as individuals as he dwells not only around us and with us but in us. So Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to start this evening. It says Paul says this. Remember, these are the same people that Paul that I just talked about in Acts chapter 19. He says I keep asking believe now this is the same same beginning acts chapter 19 that paul just breathed on this group of people he's writing a letter later because they're struggling with some stuff so guess what you can be saved have the holy spirit and all of first corinthians second corinthians the book of romans ephesians colossians they're dealing with a lot of sexual issues drunkenness orgies all this stuff guess where that's at not in the world it's in the church they're still dealing with that junk. We think that he's talking to the world in those letters, and he's not. He's talking to people like me and you who are trying to get this thing right, but we keep screwing it up. So you can still have the Holy Spirit and still mess us up royally. He says three things in this prayer. He says, I want you to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Here it is. It's personal motivation. He says, I want your hearts to be open to, uh, to, the, to the calling that you have. It's a spiritual manifestation. A calling is for somebody else that God uses you to reach to. And he says, I want you to have an awareness of the power the Spirit gives, which is building the church through the gifts of ministry. Now, I'm going to go back and I'm going to have this point by point, so don't freak out just yet. So I want you to jump over in Colossians chapter 1. I want you to see this. It says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you. He's talking to another church, but still the same principle. He says, We have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Same thing he just said to the church at Ephesus. He says, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light he just he just laid out i know i could i I could dig it out for you but i'm not going to do it he just laid out the exact three things that i just pointed out in ephesians to another church in colossi so why did i make that point because it's still relevant to you and me if it was relevant to them it's relevant to us and a lot of people don't get that when we talk about spiritual gifts that, that's just something cool that we do when we take a little spiritual gift assessment and we figure this thing out. And that's not what it is. You're actually discovering what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in your life. It's not about what you necessarily like to do, like we like to do all that kind of stuff, but it's got nothing to do with that. It's when, when God starts to reveal to you, whether it's through an assessment or just through revelation to you personally, that you have gifts and abilities that only the Holy Spirit can Can unlock for you to use, it changes your perspective on everything. You don't look at people the same way anymore. You don't look at the resources that you have the same way. You start to look at everything through a spiritual lens and things completely shift. And a lot of people don't realize that the three areas that the the gifts of the Spirit are listed, it's in Romans 12, it's in 1 Corinthians 12, and it's in Ephesians chapter 4. There's about 27 gifts that are listed. They're not an exhaustive list. But here's what actually takes place. These three sets of gifts are actually three different functions of the Holy Spirit working in us. Like we think that's just a list of gifts and we can just pick them out of the air. But they actually do three different things. And Paul lists them out in three different areas. And so here's the first thing. The first thing that the Holy Spirit does when he comes to reside in us. He motivates us. Motivational gifts are intended to build our individual spirit. So as you discover that you have gifts that are in you, The gifts that are actually listed in Romans chapter 12 are motivational gifts. And I'm going to show you what those are. He says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. He says if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. He says if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now I want to say... All gifts serve a threefold purpose glorify God, edify our personal spirit, and encourage others in their spirit. But they also have a primary function. So they have a, a, I guess you'd call it a universal function, but then there's a primary function that these gifts have. So the primary function of these, you would look at that and say, Well, that's not for me personally. Yes, it is. It's for personal edification. Look, don't look at the gift, look at what it says. It says, If prophesying, prophesy in accordance with your faith. So in other words, when you use this gift, it's going to strengthen your faith, with, which is foundational. That's for you personally. So if you have the gift of prophecy, that's not, that's not just foretelling, that's also proclaiming then you should use that gift in whatever measure that the Holy Spirit has given you. Why? Because it builds your faith. It's for your personal motivation. He says, when teaching, then teach. Well, if I'm teaching, it's for somebody else. No, it's for your spirit to be edified more so than it is for the spirit of the individuals that will hear. It says, if serving, then serve. If encouraging, then encourage. If giving, he says, give generously. And if you look at it, it says, show mercy, do it cheerfully. Like, this is the stuff that, like, every one of us, I'm just going to tell you, every one of us has one of these gifts in us right now. You may not know you have it. You have you have the gift. You have the gift of prophecy. You have the gift of serving. You have the gift of teaching. You have the gift of encouraging. You don't have all of them, but I know that everybody in the room has at least one. And the reason I know is because God gives a measure of each one of these gifts to, to all of us. And it, these particular gifts, the primary function behind these are to motivate us in using these particular gifts. All right. The second set of gifts is for the manifestation of mutual good. In other words, it's for us to build others towards a deeper relationship with Jesus. It's for us to use to build others towards a deeper relationship with Jesus. First Corinthians chapter 12 is where these gifts are found. It says there are different kinds of gifts. He says the same thing. But the same Spirit... "...distributes him. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord." He says, "...there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good." All right, so this is where it goes for somebody else. He says, "...to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing." by that one spirit to another miraculous power to another prophecy this is a different kind of prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits that's discernment to another speaking in different kinds of tongues yes it's still valid to still another the interpretation of tongues yes it's still valid all these are the work of one and the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines some of these that are mentioned are are mentioned in in other places like prophecy but this is intended for the prophetic word to go to someone else. So when you think about the manifestation gifts, these are gifts that we in the modern church are supposed to use in order for others to be edified in their spirit. Not the church, but to be pushed towards salvation. Your faith, in other words, should lead somebody else to Christ. If you're walking around and your faith is doing nothing, you need to ask yourself if you have it. Uh, it's, it's a point-blank conversation that you have to have that, like, I can tell people I go to church, but do people know that the church has got me on Monday? You know what I'm saying? Like, you can listen. I mean, we can listen to me talk all you want to. But if you're not being edified, because this is what I'm using my gift for right now is it it builds me up i feel really good about teaching but it also is for you to think and and seek and i always tell you get in the word yourself pray and let god work through you it's it's so important it's so important because these gifts are are so necessary he he says there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit distributes them there are different kinds of service the same lord different kinds of working but in all of them and everyone it's the same God at, at work he manifests for mutual good he manifests for the purpose of seeing others come to know jesus and here's the last step he ministers to build the kingdom he ministers to build the kingdom this is this is the function of these five right here are for building the church specifically ephesians 4 11 through 13 it says so christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I've mentioned this already. And people, some of you don't like this. But every one of you has one of these five fold ministry giftings in you. You have one of these. Because the scriptures already told us that he's given to each one a measure of all of these gifts. So in other words, there may be one gift from one list and one gift from that second list and one gift from this list that you have. And when you start looking at what those three gifts do and you start thinking about what God's put on your heart, it starts to make a little bit more sense. It, it It starts to become a little bit more clear that, well, you know, we think that we're out there out front hugging on people and there's no purpose behind that. And it's not true. The, fir- the, the first thing that we, we need is encouragement most of the time. We've, we've all been going through stuff. We've all been dealing with issues. We've all got things that go on. And, and these gifts are put on individuals in order for the church to be edified and built and continue to grow and flourish. It's important. It's so important that we recognize that what the Holy Spirit is intending to do is to give us people that have the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when I say people, this is not an abstract fault that's just for certain ones of us. He is for all of us. And He is trying to put in you and me a measure of the gifts that He's already put there. It says that before we were born, if you go back into Ecclesiastes, that before we were born, that he placed eternity into us. Eternity and spiritual gifting are interconnected. So it was there before you were born. It's not something that you develop. Chris gets up here and does an incredible job playing the guitar, but he could go do that in a bar somewhere. He's gifted in different ways spiritually so that the words that are sung, just like with Becca standing up here singing, when the words that are sung and played are not a performance, they actually move you to do something different. You don't just stand and sing because it's what you're supposed to do. And 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 that's the that that's so much of the 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 problem with the church today. We look around the world and we think that the issues that we are facing are there's no way that that we can do anything about it we can't you're right we can't we can't do anything about it but the gifts that god has put in each one of us is intended to do something about where we are right now so you've been giving a measure of the holy spirit in order for the gospel to be properly represented in the community that you've been planted and there's a reason that he's bringing a group of people together in a place like this in order for us to bring about change and affect change in the lives of other people. Does that make sense? But I think that we, I think we miss it so much because we get so scared of the idea that there is this entity floating around out there that I don't have control over. Am am, am I wrong about that? Because we like to control things, don't we? Like I need to make sure that I know what's going on and how it's going on. And if it's not going that way, then I usually am not happy about it. I know most of you are probably the same way. But the problem is is that every bit of what happens in the New Testament is we're giving up our rights. We're giving up our very life in order for him to take over our life. For us to be filled by a spirit, we have to get rid of the spirit that we have inside of us already. That's the spirit of man, carnal sin, and everything else. You have to crucify it daily. That's one of the things that has burdened me so deeply over these last several months when we've seen rioting and everything else that's gone on in our society, that that the solution is not political, the solution is not racial, the solution is, is strictly the blood of Jesus being poured out on our people. And the only way that that happens is if we, the church, become who God's called us to become. Nothing changes politically. Nothing changes because they change a flag. Nothing changes because we change a policy or a procedure. Nothing changes until the heart of man changes. And it's not on the world to do that. It's on us to do that. And we can't do it without the gifts that are in front of us. And I dare say that many of us have fallen for the lie that, that there is more biblical truth behind we are about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness Than we are about crucifying self. Because everything in the Bible is anti-life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We've got to get that through our head. Because if we have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Then where does your happiness stop? Because mine can't continue. It's not compatible with the biblical worldview. You're not guaranteed life. You're not guaranteed liberty. And you're not guaranteed happiness. Actually, you're guaranteed death. Because scripture says that you must die in order to receive You're not guaranteed freedom until you die. And that's not the freedom that we're talking about in our society, is it? No, we want to be able to do what we want, when we want, how we want. That's the liberty we're talking about. And I want to be able to pursue happily whatever it is. The Bible doesn't say anything about happiness. It says joy. And there's a deeper solution with joy than there is with happiness. Matter of fact, the fact that the Holy Spirit comes in Galatians, it says that this is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Pursuing happiness usually means that we lose self-control. Pursuing happiness sometimes will lead us to some destructive things because we can pursue some things the wrong way and with the wrong motivation and, and the, wrong, uh, the, the wrong mindset if we're not careful. And so we have to get back to the center and realize that our job, our number one function it is for people to encounter jesus first when they encounter jesus we want them to find their place in the kingdom doesn't matter if it's at this church or the church down the street none of that has ever mattered to us it matters that you connect to a group of people that are edifying you that are working in your life that are helping you to grow while you're helping them to grow and we're going into the community that we've been planted in order to do the same thing with other people. And I, I love hearing stories over and over again about what God is doing in the homeless community, in in Mr. Warren going down and 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 selling fish and what the gospel is being spread all over this community. It's not because we plan to do it, it's because God is doing it naturally because that's how God works. He works through us as he unlocks the gifts. So here's how I want to close this entire series. When I ask the question, how's my breath, you need to realize that it's not about your stinky breath. It's about whether or not you're breathing the Holy Spirit on people. And and here, I don't want want this to end negatively. I want this to end in, in a positive way because if you've gotten to a place where you've recognized the Holy Spirit around you and you know that you have had unbelief and you've cried out what the Scripture says, Lord, help me with my unbelief. You've repented of those sins. You've got salvation that comes through Jesus alone. Then let's move to the next step. Let's realize that God with us is the Holy Spirit walking with us. He's testifying of the gospel to us constantly. He's, he's pointing out people in our life, He's showing us things that we need to be doing. And, and how often does that happen when you have that little stroke and you go, I don't want to do that? Let's, let, let's easy step. Don't say no. Say, okay, Lord, let me do it. I'll do it. Just give me a chance to do it. I'll do it. And then when we get to that point where he's in us, we realize now that, you know what, it's not as weird as some people have made it out to be. We realize that all he's trying to do is motivate us. He's trying to push us to go a little bit further because the Lord is still moving and working. The world has not come to an end. We've still got breath. We've got work to do. He's motivating. He's manifesting himself in us for other people. And he's trying to build his church through the gifts that that ministry, those ministry gifts that each one of us has inside of us. And so I just encourage you, do not fear what Jesus himself said was good for you. The Holy Spirit who has come to be the helper that you need that will abide with us and he will be with us and in us. Let me pray over you.